videos I've seen. There are two of them out there. This one I've never seen before until this morning. But that's going to be a reality one day. Amen. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his bride in that event we call the rapture of the church. I love 1 Thessalonians 4.17 where Paul said, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. I mean, let that word sink in for a moment. Caught up to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. That word caught up comes from a Greek word and a Latin word. The Greek there is harparzo, where we get the English word to harpoon, right? If you watch those old Moby Dick movies, they harpoon the whale, and what do they do? They reel it in. One day the church will be harpooned and then reeled up into heaven. The Latin Vulgate translation of the scriptures, translated by Jerome in Bethlehem in the 15th century A.D., translated caught up as raptoro, from the root rapiamor, the first person plural future indicative passive tense to be precise. That has a connotation of to seize or to snatch away. So one day the church will be seized, snatched away from this earth, taken up into the heavenlies, amen, into the third heaven. And when he takes us to heaven, help me, when he takes us to heaven, we will be there for, oh, you're paying attention, I love it, for a brief, they say, oh, we're going to be there forever. No, a brief seven years. While the earth below will go through a what? A seven-year period of tribulation, also known as a time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse number 7. Daniel tells us in Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. Who's thy people? He ain't talking about Christians. There were no Christians. There were no church in the 69th week. And there will be no church in the future 70th week. We are right now in that gap of time between the 69th week, which has already been fulfilled, and the future 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. I want to remind all of you, 69 of those 70 weeks have already literally been fulfilled. The commencement point, Nehemiah chapter 2, 445 B.C., when Nehemiah leaves Persia, as a king's cupbearer, goes to Jerusalem to rebuild the streets and the walls of the city. Now, a brilliant, brilliant mind who was a lead detective on the Jack the Ripper case. I'm a big Jack the Ripper buff, excuse me, okay? Whitechapel, 1888. A man by the name of Sir Robert Anderson. Get his book. I gave you a copy, I believe, Brother Chris. Uh, the Common Prince, in which he calculated the end of the began in 445 B.C. in Nehemiah chapter 2 and ended at around 30, 31 A.D. With what event? The death of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ ended the 69th week of Daniel's prophecy. 483 prophetical years from Nehemiah to the death of the Messiah. Or 173,880 days from Nehemiah to the death of of the Messiah. The death of Jesus Christ ended the 69 weeks. But Daniel tells us it's 70. So if 69 weeks have already been fulfilled, how many weeks are left? It remains future. What is that week? A final seven-year period of tribulation. Jesus describes it in Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation. 
such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. It's a time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Seventy weeks to come upon Israel, unbelieving Israel, I might add, and Gentile nations of the world. I love, when I share the gospel in Israel, as I did last week, when I was in the Holy Land, when they tell me we are still waiting for the Messiah, you Christians have your Messiah. Us Jews are still waiting for our Messiah. I beg the difference, sir. If he's not the Messiah uh, for the Jew, he can't be the Messiah for the Christian either. You can't have your cake and eat it too, amen? The Messiah already came. How do you know the Messiah already came? I love to take them to Daniel 9. 24 through 26. It says right there in verse 26. Read it. It's right there. Read it in Hebrew. After three score and two weeks, the Mashiach, the Messiah, is what? Cut off. They don't know how to handle that. And the rabbis tell them, don't read Daniel 9, 24 through 26. It will confuse you. No, it ain't going to confuse you. It's going to reveal truth to you. Isaiah 53, the death of the Messiah. Daniel 9, 26, after 69 weeks, the Messiah is put to death. The Messiah is cut off. And that must be the case, ladies and gentlemen. The 69 weeks have already come to complete fulfillment. One week remains unfulfilled. It's a future seven-year period of tribulation described in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19. Amen. The book of Revelation, 22 chapters covering 400 verses in all. Describe six, uh, excuse me, seven seal judgments, right? Revelation chapter 6, followed by seven trumpet judgments, right? Chapters 8 and 9, chapter 11 and 15, followed by seven vile or bold judgments, chapters 15 and 16, 21 judgments in all. The church is mentioned 25 times in the book of Revelation. Now, stay with me here. The church is mentioned 19 times before Revelation 4.2, another six times after Revelation 19.11. Here's my point. In between those chapters, 6 through 19, that cover that seven-year period of tribulation, guess what? There is no mention. You know who's missing? C-H-U-R. C-H. The church is not on the earth during the final 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Who's in unbelief, Israel or the church? Obviously, Israel is in a state of unbelief. Even when I tell you that, on my 34 trips there, Israel is in a state of unbelief. They're back in the land as promised by God, but they're back in unbelief in preparation for that final seven-year period of tribulation. And during that time, the prophetic trio of triplets will be unleashed when three very dangerous nations will come up against Israel and the Jewish people in an attempt to annihilate them off the face of the earth. Amen. Why does Satan hate the Jews so much? I'll tell you why he hates the Jews so much. Number one, the Jew gave us that book you're holding in your hand. Romans chapter 3 verse 2 is unambiguous that God committed the oracles to them. Amen. All the authors of the books of the Bible are Jewish. Amen. Satan hates the Jew because they gave us the Jew, Jesus Christ. They gave the Savior to the world, who, by the way, they reject today. 
they must be in blindness. They must be in a state of unbelief in preparation for that final seven-year period of tribulation to come. So, folks, everything seems to be falling into place, setting up for that end-time scenario that we're going to be looking at in just a few moments. I am here to tell you tonight that one day, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach ben David ben Abraham. You pick up a lot of Hebrew when you're in Israel, amen. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, will one day return back to this earth at the end of that seven-year period of tribulation. He will crush, he will eliminate, he will destroy all Gentile world powers. And that's described in Daniel chapter 2, which I want you to turn there, by the way. Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 through 35. Daniel chapter 2, 34 through 35. So as you're turning there, I, I just want to say tonight, number one, it was a blessing preaching at this prophecy conference at my home church, East Bay Baptist Church, preaching Friday, uh, preaching uh, uh, Saturday, and then, of course, all day uh, today. So it was just a real blessing. I'm also tickled pink because, number one, my family is here tonight. My Oldest offspring is here tonight. I already had someone say, she's a splitting image of you. My daughter Tiffany and her husband Eric is uh, with us tonight, and God gave her a very fine, godly Christian man. Amen. And I really appreciate Eric as a member of our family. Praise God. I appreciate him as a member of our uh, family. Uh, but I also got hit with another <laughs> surprise today. I, I wanted to make sure I got their permission. Uh, my wife and I were notified tonight that we're expecting grandchild number 11. What they say in Hebrew, mazel tov. (laughs) Congratulations. It's great to have my grandkids here, and so I'm just tickled pink. And, of course, Fran Aspirate. There's Fran. She's here in the house. Her husband, the late John Aspirate, always enjoyed listening to my prophecy messages, and John was just a blessing. Amen. We're going to be seeing him one day. There's a glad reunion day coming, friends, so that's one thing that we can take uh, hope in. And, of course, Brother Chris, the man that led me to the Lord 35 years ago. It's just amazing. After all these years, the Lord just brings these people back into your life. It's just a real blessing. I'm just tickled pink to see all of you here tonight, my family, and it's just a real blessing. All right, I said Daniel chapter 2, right? Daniel chapter 2. Notice this with me, please. Uh, Daniel chapter 2. And... uh. Let me begin in verse number 31. Just a little background here, okay? Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of an image, right? Now, looking at this image, it had a head of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron. But when you get to the ten toes of that image, it consists of iron and clay, which doesn't adhere at all. And we know that that metallic image represents world empires. The head of gold, Babylon. Breast and arms of silver, the Medo-Persian Empire. Belly and thighs of brass, the Grecian Empire. Legs of iron, the Roman Empire. But then the Roman Empire will fizzle out of existence at around the 5th century A.D., maybe about 473 or so. But then when you get to the Ten Toes, uh, Daniel sees the revival. Of this Roman Empire. Look at verse 31 with me, please. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. It was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. 
Thou sawest till that a stone was cut without hands, a supernatural divine stone, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone, that divine stone, that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. We know who this stone is. This stone comes down from heaven and crushes the final ten toes of that image. That future revived Roman Empire. And then Daniel says that stone becomes a great mountain filling the whole entire earth. That would be a reference to the millennial kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you all a theological question here tonight. Where will the millennial kingdom take place? Jerusalem. How long will the millennial kingdom be for? Throw me a number. One thousand years. That's Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 7, where it tells us six times he will reign for one thousand years in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem. I was just in Jerusalem last week at my hotel, the Dan Hotel, sitting on my balcony at the Dan Hotel, and I'm looking at the Mount of Olives right there. The Mount of Olives, Har Hatzatim in Hebrew, where Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, a preview of end time events. It was from the Mount of Olives that he ascended back up into heaven, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9. And at the end of the tribulation period, Zechariah 14.4 tells us, at his second coming, his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And that Mount of Olives is going to split right in Half. That's why you have thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish graves on the Mount of Olives based on that verse of Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 4. When the Mashiach ben David, the Messiah, the son of David, his feet will touch that mountain and that mountain is going to split right in half. Now with that said, go with me to Daniel chapter 7. You always compare scripture with scripture, right? We call this inductive Bible study. You must compare scripture with scripture in order to ascertain more information, especially in the area, folks, of eschatology, the doctrine of last things, the doctrine of the end. Fifty years after Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and Daniel gave him the interpretation of that dream, Daniel sees a vision 50 years later, not of a metallic image, but of animals. This is in uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Now, what does Daniel see? He sees a lion. He sees a bear. Oh, my. <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears. He sees a lion. He sees a bear. He sees a leopard. But then he sees an unidentified beast in verse number 7. doesn't tell us what kind of animal it is. Now, we know that the lion is Babylon, the head of gold in Daniel chapter 2, right? And then he sees a, a bear that is lopsided, like it's ready to tip over. And it has three ribs in its mouth, Daniel says. Now, that bear would represent the Medo-Persian Empire, okay, that destroyed the Babylonian Empire in 539 B.C. That bear had three ribs in its mouth, which would represent Egypt, which was conquered by Assyria, which was conquered by Babylon. Then later on, the Babylonians were destroyed by the Medo-Persian Empire. Then you get to the leopard, 
with four wings on the back of the leopard, that would represent the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. After Alexander died, his empire was divided among his four main generals, which is why you have the four wings on the back of that leopard. But look at this. When you get to verse number 7, of verse number 7 of Daniel 7, he says this, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Doesn't tell us if it's a hippopotamus, kangaroo, whatever, but it's a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before, and it had how many horns? I got ten fingers. Remember? Ten toes, and then later on he calls them ten horns. The ten horns that come out of the ancient Roman Empire. But notice who comes out of these ten horns in verse 8. Look at this guy. Look at this guy in verse 8. I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another little horn. Not little big horn, little horn. I think you know exactly who that is. Before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn, that little horn, were the eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spake very great things. You know who that is? The beast of Revelation chapter 13, number 1. You better know him in 1 John 2.18 as the Antichrist. He comes out of the ten horns of the revived Roman Empire. Let's pray. Father, we just ask right now, Lord, that you would meet with us and give us guidance and direction tonight, Lord. Father, I pray that as I stand behind this sacred desk that you would use me uh, to preach this timely message for its plain sense interpretation. Allowing the Bible to interpret the Bible since it is its best own interpreter. And Lord, once again, if there's someone here tonight and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die, Lord, it's my prayer that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and get saved and be ready for either one or two things, either death or the next main event on God's calendar of activities that we call the rapture of the church of the living God. And so, Father, may you now be glorified in everything that is said and done. Bless those uh, that are here uh, tonight. Thank you for my family being here, Lord. And I pray that you bless those watching via live stream uh, all across the country. And uh, may you be glorified now, Lord, in everything that is said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. Bible prophecy, ladies and gentlemen describes three main players that will be on the world stage during the final 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And these three main players, and you see their flags on the screen right there, are making so much noise in the world today. They are making headline news on a daily basis as foretold in the end-time eschatological events. These are the trio of triplets that are specifically found in the prophetic scenario laid out in God's word in the end times that will have major ramifications for Israel and the Jewish people. Now, why do we look at the geopolitical activities of the world? We look at the, uh, the trends in the geopolitical activities on the global stage showing that the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled in the end times. So as we race toward the next main event we call the rapture of the church, these geopolitical trends will intensify. They will increase as we see the early fruition of these foretold prophecies that are coming into focus. We talked about what Jesus said during the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and uh, Luke chapter number 21. Remember I told you that's a dual prophecy right there. 
dual prophecy or dual fulfillment. The first half of Luke 21-24 was already fulfilled. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Stop. That was fulfilled, the first half of that verse, 2,000 years ago in the year 70 A.D. General Titus, the son of the Roman Emperor Vespasian, brought the 10th Roman Legion into Jerusalem, sacked the city, destroyed the temple, Herod's temple, scattered the Jewish people to the four corners of the earth. That was all fulfilled in 70 AD. If you come on one of my Bible prophecy tours of Israel, I will take you to the southwestern corner of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where you will walk on a 2,000-year-old pilgrim road. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus and his disciples, his Talmudim, walked on that very same road. Then you're going to notice, Brother Chris, a massive pile of stones, man. I'm talking massive. And they're like piled on top of one another, caving the streets below. And I'm going to tell you to do something while you're there. I'm going to say, walk up to those stones and put your hands on one of those stones. And you're going to do that, and you're going to ask me, August, why are you asking me to put my hand on one of these stones? You are touching tangible evidence of Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24 that there shall be not left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And believe me, man, those Romans destroyed that city. And they took it down brick by brick. So the first half of that verse already fulfilled. The last half is yet to be fulfilled. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. When will the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled? Not at the rapture, but seven years later at the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will crush all Gentile world forces. That's why I told you to turn to Daniel chapter 2, 34 and 35. That stone comes down from heaven, smokes the ten toes of the revived Roman Empire, crushes the Gentile world forces, and then that stone becomes a great mountain filling the whole entire earth. Amen. When did the times of the Gentiles begin? 605 B.C. With three waves of Babylonian invasions against Jerusalem. The first wave, 605 B.C. Daniel was taken along with his three Jewish friends. Remember their names? <laughs> Everyone loves using their godless, wicked, pagan Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Stop it. Use their godly Hebrew names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That is their godly Hebrew names that would represent the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The second wave of Babylonian invasions, 597 B.C., Ezekiel was taken along with 10,000 Jews to Babylon. And then finally, 586 B.C. with the Babylonian uh, destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And folks, ever since then, Israel, even though they're back in the land, they have their sovereignty, Israel has always been under the times of the Gentiles. 605 B.C., 597, 586, uh, with, with the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And we see under some form of Gentile world control. I take you back to 63 B.C. when the Romans came on the scene under General Pompey. General Pompey comes on the scene and he invaded the Holy Land and before you know it, you have these uncircumcised Philistines, if you will, in the land throwing dirty punches at the Jewish people. From 63 
B.C. going all the way to the year 70 A.D. The great Jewish revolt against Rome. You go to my house. I, Brother Chris, I don't know if I showed you this, but I have a coin that was minted from 70 A.D. The Jewish revolt coin. Why did the Jews take the fight to the very vicious Roman army? It was all over Jerusalem. This is our city. This is our land. And God said in 2 Chronicles 6, 6, I've chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there forever. Har Olam in Hebrew. For eternity. The Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, and scattered the Jewish people to the four corners of the earth. And what we would call the diaspora. I took my wife to the diaspora. Diaspora Museum uh, in Tel Aviv. It was just her and I in Israel. We went to Tel Aviv, went to the Diaspora Museum, where they walk you through 2,000 years of history being dispersed to the four corners of the earth. Folks, Israel has always been under Gentile control, under Gentile persecution, under Gentile population. I'm talking about Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the Crusaders, Mamluks. Turks, British, leading up to what? Them bones and bones, them dry bones and bones and bones and Ezekiel 37 fulfilled. I'm not a date setter when it comes to the rapture. Nobody should be setting dates for the rapture. But I got a date for you. May 14th, 1948. After 2,000 years of global diaspora, the Jews are back. In the land. Go to my YouTube page, subscribe if you haven't done that yet. Dr. Todd Baker and I in 2017 were at Independence Hall in Tel Aviv where that prophecy was fulfilled. And we taught right there at Independence Hall. There was an Israeli guy who just came in, I think he worked there, and he's listening to us, and then he just sat down and he just listened to I mean, He was on every single word that we were saying. And this is what I said May 14th, 1948. Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, stood right behind that podium. Everything is still original from 71 years ago or so. Stood behind that podium with 400 reporters in attendance, spoke 997 words in only 17 minutes, declared to the world the rebirth of the state of Israel as foretold by our Jewish prophets. Ezekiel 37 came to pass on May the 14th of 1948. And even though Israel was established as a nation on May 14th, 1948, Gentile persecution and influence is still prevalent and will result in another Gentile invasion of the Jewish state of Israel. And folks, when you think about it, world powers today are trying to manipulate Israeli politics like the United States of America. Let's call a spade a spade here, folks. Like the United States of America, like the European Union, like the United Nothing, because that's what they are, amen, the United Nations, and other global powers. President Obama tried pulling that nonsense in 2015 because he did not want to see uh, Benjamin Bibi Netanyahu become prime minister. So what did he do? He interfered in Israel's electoral uh, system. Obama, this is from the Jerusalem Post. Obama's shocking interference into Israel's election process. He had no business butting his nose into that process. Why? He did not want to see Bibi Netanyahu become prime minister and instead wanted a liberal prime minister. 
prime minister in there in order for Israel to roll over and play dead for its enemies. Who are Israel's enemies? Hamas, Gaza Strip, Hezbollah, South Lebanon, Al-Aqsa Brigades, Islamic Jihad. They don't want to see a Jewish state in the Middle East called Israel. They want to see Israel wiped off the face of the map. But guess what? That never happened, Obama. Guess who won? Bibi Netanyahu. And who's Israel's prime minister today? Bibi Benjamin Netanyahu. Obama or any other president does not dictate who comes into authority. God does. Amen? Daniel 2.21 tells us God sets up kings and God removes kings. Not some U.S. president or prime minister for that matter. BB won and was shown the ultimate disrespect by Obama during the prime minister's visit to the White House. And guess what? Apple don't fall far from the tree. Because Netanyahu, and I was just in Israel when he uh, was being interviewed out there. Netanyahu is still waiting for an invitation from Joe Biden. An invitation that will never come. That disrespect continues. You better remember Genesis 12, 3. And remember it very well. I'll bless those who bless thee. And I'll curse those who curse at thee. That is still relevant today as it was written some 4,000 years ago. Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. This period will end the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. So looking at a basic timeline of the 70th week of Daniel's uh, prophecy, we see the commencement of that. It says 444, but most archaeologists will tell you about 445 uh, B.C. or so. And then the 69 weeks would end when the Messiah would be cut off. That's what you see the cross right there. 69 weeks ends when the Messiah is cut off. So now we have a gap of time right here between the death of Jesus Christ and the commencement of that final 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. The gap of time that we are in right now, folks, would be the church age that was established at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and will end at the next main event we call the rapture of the church. So the church is taken out of here, and somewhere down the line, the ruler from the revived Roman Empire, Daniel 9.27, will confirm the covenant with many for... One week. That final week would be a week of years, a seven-year period of tribulation. I had a guy challenge me at a prophecy conference. He said, August, how do you know for sure that that week is I don't believe that. I said, would you like me to show you from Scripture why I believe that that final week is seven years? He goes, where? I said, sir, apply inductive Bible study. Compare scripture with scripture. Amen. So I directed him, preacher, to Genesis 27, verse 29, where Jacob, the deceiver, if you will, Yaakov in Hebrew, he's working to get what he thought would be Rachel, but instead, who does he get? Leah. So he was conned by Uncle Laban. So he goes to Uncle Laban and says, Laban, why have you deceived me? Did I not work for Rachel? Why are you giving me Leah? Uncle Laban responds like this. If you want Rachel, you must fulfill her week in which you must work another seven years. 
So you look at Genesis 27, 29, compare it with Daniel 9, 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That one week, folks, is that future seven-year period of tribulation to come. Antichrist will come on the scene, and he will confirm that covenant with the Jewish people, but then he will break that covenant at the midway point of the tribulation period, and the Jews will flee for their to the world that I am God, worship me, or you die. So, like I said, we look at the political, because the political is set in the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. So I found this on the Euro News website, a secular, liberal website. China, arming Russia, would significantly harm relationship with the EU, or the European Union, von der Leyen warns and Beijing. So to the left over here would be the president of France, Emmanuel Macron. In the middle would be Xi Jinping, president of China, and von der Leyen right here, who was the prime minister for the European Union. So the EU warned China that following meetings with China's president, Xi Jinping, that China needs to stop supplying Russia with military weapons in their fight there in the Ukraine. The EU urged Beijing to use its influence to deter Russian President Vladimir Putin from acting on his recent threat to station tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. By the way, they already have nuclear weapons in Belarus. We're going to look at these guys in Bible prophecy. We're going to look at these three princes, these trio of triplets, and see where their place is in the end time biblical scenario laid out in Bible prophecy. The political is indeed set in the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Let's look at the first trio of triplets. Let's go to Revelation chapter number 9, please. Revelation chapter number 9. This is the first half of the tribulation period. And now the world is experiencing the trumpet judgments. The sealed judgments have already been completed. One-fourth of the world's population has already been killed. We're looking at almost close to 2 billion people. Now the world is in the trumpet judgments. Look with me, please, if you are Revelation chapter 9 and verse number 13. This is the sixth trumpet being blown by angels. Jesus Christ dispatches angels to blow these seven trumpets that will unleash the wrath of God upon the earth. Notice in verse 13 of Revelation 9. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, or demons, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men, close to 1.8 billion people. Look at verse 16. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, and I heard a number of them. I've heard many Bible prophecy scholars in the past say 200,000 thousand would equal uh, close to 200 million troops. Do you know who can easily raise up 200 million troops? No doubt in my mind, China can raise 200 million troops. Parallel to that, would be Revelation 16, 12. And the sixth angel portal his vial. Now the world's in the bold judgments. And the sixth angel portal his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water there was dried up that the way of the kings of the east. They come from the far east into the middle east, bringing death to one-third of the world's 
population. The Euphrates River is dried up. When I was in Istanbul, Turkey, I read a very interesting article. There was in English, in the English version of their Istanbul newspaper. They said that with just one push of a button, Turkey can dam up the Euphrates River in minutes. A coinky dink? I doubt it. That's why there's friction between Turkey and Iraq. The Iraqis are claiming that the Turks are hogging up all the water by damming it up. And yet we see that the Euphrates is going to be dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So, folks, I have no doubt in my mind that this is China. They can, what do they got a population of about, what, 1.43 billion? That's with a B as in boy. One point four. So don't you think they can easily raise an army of 200 million coming across the dried up Euphrates River, bringing death to uh, one third of the world's population? I have no doubt in my mind that this is referring to China, maybe even North Korea, another dangerous country, by the way, will probably join the fray as well, maybe other Asian nations and things of that sort. So we just identified one as China. Another one that we need to be very aware of a staunch enemy of the United States, threatened nuclear war against us already, and they're threatening Israel. And I'm talking about that country you see right there in red. Folks, I am talking about Russia. Now that takes you to Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. What did God tell Ezekiel, the son of man? Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them. The Lord God, I am against thee, O God, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. How do we know that that is Russia? Well, Ezekiel tells us that this country, Magog, is north of the state of Israel. And folks, you can barely see it on there. It's like chicken scraps. There's Israel, uh, that little slither piece of a land right there. You can barely see it on the map, surrounded by hostile nations that don't want to see her existence. So who was Magog? That takes you back to Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Magog was the son of Japheth, who was the son of Noah. Now, according to the Jewish historian Josephus Flavius, Magog broke away from his brothers, and he settled north. I wish I could use my laser here, but I can't on the screen. He settled north of the Caspian and Black Seas. What country is north of the Caspian and Black Sea? You don't need a PhD to figure that one out. Russia. Then, in Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, he talks about Magog's brothers, Meshach, Tubal, Ezekiel 38.2, and Gomer and Togomer, Ezekiel 38.6. Who was Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, Togomer? I found a replica in Istanbul, of an ancient Turkish map, Brother Tom, describing ancient Turkey. And right on that ancient map, Brother Chris, you know what I saw? Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, Togarma. That makes up what is today Turkey and their radical uh, president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. So we just identified Russia, Gog, Magog. We identify Turkey, Meshach, Tubal, Goma, Togama. Now when you get to Ezekiel 38.5, talks about Persia will join the invasion on Israel. Persia, in 1935, changed their name to 
Iran. I don't have to tell you much about Iran, do I? Iran calls for Israel's destruction on a daily basis. We want to see Israel eliminated. That's Psalm 83, verse 4. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel be no more in remembrance. That's what Iran's former president said to 4,000 terrorists in Tehran Square. Remember that guy? What was his name there? Mahmoud, I'm a whack job, right? <laughs> Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. We Muslims must rise up and destroy Israel that their name may be forgotten forever. That's almost verbatim of Psalm 83 and verse number 4. So we identified Russia, Gog, Magog, Turkey, Meshach, Tubal, Goma, Togama, Persia, 1935, Iran. Joining them would be Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, as well as Libya. Israel coming under attack from north, south, east, and west. But the bad news for these guys is that God says, I'm going to make sure your bodies lie upon the mountains of Israel. I'm going to call for the carnivorous birds of the sky to come down and feast on your bodies. And when it's all said and done, the only country that's going to be left standing is Israel. Amen. They will be destroyed. When I had my um, tour group over in Jordan, we're on our way to South Jordan to Petra. And uh, as we're driving, I yelled. And Pat was like, what are you yelling for? There was a highway sign that said, the bomb in Arabic. I said, stop the bus. I talk, my Jordanian tour guide's flipping out. He goes, what are you talking about? Just stop the bus for a minute. I said, everybody, look at that sign right there. You know what Debon is? That's in Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 11 through 17. That is called Hamengog in the Bible, where all those dead soldiers, Russia, Turkey, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, they're going to be buried right there in Hamengog modern-day Debon, and I was like tickled pink to even see that highway sign. It was absolutely unbelievable. So China foretold in Bible prophecy. Russia foretold in Bible prophecy. Finally, 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 the revival of the Roman Empire. Folks, the Roman Empire that is alive and well on planet earth today we're talking daniel chapter 2 daniel chapter 7 revelation chapter 12 chapter 13 chapter 17 for the revival of the roman empire remember i told you out of that revived roman empire arises 10 10 horns how can i be dogmatic and say that the european union was foretold in bible prophecy well let's go to their website okay this is their website right here, EU Observer. Ministers ponder creation of EU, kind of dramatic, don't you think? EU super president. Who has ever heard of a super president? I've heard of Superman, but super president? They create a position within the European Union of a, who do you think is going to take over that position in the future? Remember that little horn? Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 8. That little horn who comes out of the ten horns of the revived Roman Empire. The EU super state. This is absolutely unbelievable. 
Uh, we're in Revelation already, right? Let's go to um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. You might want to get your pens out. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, that's Satan, having seven heads and ten horns. Go to Revelation 13 and verse number 1. Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Let's go to Revelation chapter number 17. Revelation chapter number 17. Look with me in verse number 7. Revelation 17, 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, that's the false church in Rome on seven hills, and the beast, that's the Antichrist, that character, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. Drop down to verse number 12. And the ten horns, which thou sawest, are ten kings, which I received no kingdoms yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. Drop down to verse 16. And the ten horns, which thou sawest upon the beast, thee shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. All we read about from Daniel Revelation is ten horns, ten horns, ten horns. Now notice this right here. I showed you this this morning, right? But I want to play it again for you. The political website says this right here. Impatient with German on defense, French President Emmanuel Macron will bring together a ten-nation coalition of the willing. Why is the President of France using the word ten? He wants to put together a global European Union army, and folks, look, he's calling it a what? Ten-nation coalition of the willing. Look at this right here from the European Union website, Vo Europe. Ten countries for a United States of Europe. Where are they getting the number 10 from, folks? Are they reading Bible prophecy? I doubt it. These guys are fulfilling Bible prophecy, and they have no idea what they're doing. Now, look at Revelation 17, verse number 3. Revelation 17, 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman. That's the false church. She sits on a seven-hill city today in Rome. I was there in 2015. It was one of the most creepiest places, Brother Eric, that I have ever experienced in my life. They even tried. I thought they were going to arrest us, Todd Baker and I. We weren't bothering anybody. We had our video camera set up with the Vatican in the background in St. Peter's Square, teaching on the false church. Look at that. It's on my YouTube page. All of a sudden, we're surrounded by five uniformed Vatican police officers. One guy had his hand on the butt of his gun. Other guy had his hand on his hand like he's swinging his handcuffs there. Asked us, what, what are you doing here? I said, we're teaching Bible. You're teaching Bible? Did you get permission from his holiness? I said, yeah, we did. We just prayed to him a little while ago. And he's not the guy that's sitting behind us over here. Oh, they did not like that at all. You need to get permission from him. We don't need permission from anybody to teach the word of God. Then Todd Baker just went off. He said, you know something? I studied for the priesthood. I wanted to become a Catholic priest, but I saw all this pedophilia going on. I mean, he's giving them the, 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 the third degree here, man. He goes, you guys have been suppressing the word of God for centuries, and you're doing the same thing right now. Right. And the guy says, you can't teach that Bible here. You know something? We're going to pack it up. We're going to go outside of St. Peter's Square, mm -hmm. and we're going to teach the word of God, and there's nothing you can do about it. 
And as we're walking away, Brother Chris, we went outside of St. Peter's Square, set up our cameras, Vatican still in the background, and we taught the word of God, and all five of them were just standing there looking at us, man, like they wanted to take our heads off. The Vatican and the European Union are like frick and frat. The woman riding upon the shoulders of the beast, the Antichrist. Look at this. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads. And how many horns again? Ten horns. And I showed you this already this morning, right? Here's the European Union headquarters in Brussels, Belgium. What are we looking at here, folks? A woman riding some sort of a beast. Did they, did they read the did they read Revelation 17:3? Nah, they hate the word of God. They hate Christians. But yet they have a sculpture of a woman riding the beast as we read about in Revelation 17 and verse number three. That's why I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that the revived Roman Empire is alive and well today. The false church, false religion in cahoots with human government will take control on the world stage during that final 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. So Jesus Christ has to return at his second coming. And that's why I started off in Daniel 2, 34 and 35. The Jesus Christ will return. He's that stone that comes down from heaven, and then that stone will crush the final ten toes, ten horns of the revived Roman Empire. He will destroy the final and then that stone will become a great mountain and fill the whole entire Babylonian Empire. The head of gold, gone. Uh, breast and arms of silver, Medo-Persia, gone. Belly and thighs of brass, Grecian Empire, gone. Legs of iron, Imperial Roman Empire, gone. But guess who we see forming today? A final ten-nation confederacy. With these trio of triplets getting coming into focus, they're coming into play. China. Russia, the European Union, foretold to be the embryo, the infrastructure for the revival of the Roman Empire. That will give a blank check to that beast out of the sea of Revelation 13 and verse number 1. I believe, folks, in closing, that the Antichrist is alive and well today. We don't know who he is. I don't care to know who he is. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Amen. Bible doesn't tell me anywhere to look for the beast, look for the Antichrist, nowhere in the New Testament. But I am told many times to look for Jesus Christ. Why? He is the promise of our blessed hope. Right. The blessed hope. The next main event on God's calendar of activities that we call the rapture of the church of the living God. First Thessalonians 4, 13-18, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or perceive them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the... So far, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be raptoro, harpazo, 
caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. One day we're going to be snatched. One day we're going to be seized. One day we're going to be taken out of this world, taken to the Father's house. I told you about the Jewish wedding customs, man. They still practice that in Israel today. The betrothal stage in biblical times, followed by the consummation of the marriage and then the marriage feast. Right now we're in the betrothal stage, the church age. We are engaged to the Lamb. But when he takes us up into heaven, we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, right? Romans 14.10, Romans 14.12, 2 Corinthians 5.10, 1 Corinthians 3.11-15. After the Bema, and we get our rewards, there's going to be a consummation of the marriage. Remember in biblical times, when the Jewish man will go to the house of the prospective bride, he walks right in, there's Abba, there's Dad, there's Ima, there's Mom, there's the whole Mishpochav, the whole family's there. She's sitting right there in front of a table. He takes a cup, puts that cup right in front of her. And she picked up from that cup and saying to him, I do. But if she refused to pick up that cup, then what else she would be saying? Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more. <laughs> but in most cases, she'd pick up that cup. She would drink from it. Then he would give her the stipulations of the ketubah, a Hebrew wedding contract. She would agree to the stipulations of the ketubah. Then he would pay Abba, her father, the price for her. And then he said, I'm going back to Abba's house I'm going to prepare the honeymoon chamber. You wait for me. I'm coming back for you. And she would wait every single day, every single day. Could today be the day? Could today be the day? Could today be the day? All of a sudden, without warning, unexpectedly, she'd be doing something, then she would hear. She'd run to that window. There he is. Let's go. Taking you back to Abba's house. They would go back to his father's house where they will consummate the marriage. Do you know how long they'd be in the honeymoon chamber for? Seven days. After seven days, there's a party, man. And those Jews eat. And there's going to be a wedding feast. That's Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Blessed are those that are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true saints of God. Betrothal, marriage, Marriage feast. I've been to those seven-day celebrations there in Israel, man. Those guys, they dance, they eat, they laugh, and, man, do they drink. And they do it for seven days. They do it for, it's just unbelievable. We're in the betrothal stage right now. But that's going to come to an end at the next main event we call the rapture of the church. What a day, glorious day, folks. That is going to be. You and I have a blessed hope to look forward to. But it seems to me the stage is being set. The actors are getting into position. And the curtain is about to go up on the end time drama. 
if you see signs for Christmas appearing in your department stores, you know what other holidays even nearer? Thanksgiving. When you see indications that the tribulation period is about to come upon this world, you know what events even nearer? The rapture of the church. The next main event on God's calendar of activities. No signs precede it, and no prophecies have to be fulfilled. It's imminent. It could happen at any moment, at any time, without anything having to be fulfilled. The question is, when he comes on that day in the rapture, is he coming for you? Are you going to meet him in the air, or will you be left behind? Don't get left behind. Every head bowed, every eye closed will be dismissed. If you're here tonight, maybe those of you watching via live stream, if you're here and you're saying, August, I don't have the assurance of going to heaven when I die. I want to be ready. I don't want to die and go to hell for the rest of eternity. I don't want to be left behind to go through that seven-year period of tribulation you're talking about. August, would you pray for me tonight that somebody can sit down with me and show me from the Bible how I can know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that heaven will be my home. Heaven will be my destination. If I'm talking to you, all you simply need to do is slip that hand up and put it down. And by doing so, all you're asking me to do is pray for you. August, pray for me. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. Do we have anyone like that here tonight at East Bay Baptist Church? August, I want to be saved. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Whether death or rapture, I want to be ready. Anybody at all? Let me ask you this then. If you are saved, born again, washed by the blood of the Lamb, and you know you're ready to go, whether by death or by rapture, if you are saved, would you raise your hand as a testimony here tonight? August, I'm saved, and I know. If you're saved, I want to see your hands up. If you're not saved, don't raise your hands. You're only deceiving yourself. Praise the Lord. Almost every hand is up here tonight. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that testimony. Folks, time is of the essence. Jesus is coming soon. Let's win the lost at any cost. Because I believe in a whosoever gospel. It doesn't say, for God so loved some. It says, for God so loved the world. Chrissy's going to play a song of invitation. If God's speaking to you about something, man, if you want to pray with me up here, I pray, I'll pray with you. If there's something that is weighing heavy on your heart right now, and you need to talk with someone, well, just pray with somebody. I, I want to pray with you guys. Ladies, you can pray with, with some of the other women here in the church. They'll, they'll pray with you. But if God is speaking to you about something, come to the altar this, this night tonight. Talk to him. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your precious word. And Lord, I pray that I stood within the bounds of Scripture tonight and not went beyond the perimeters of the word of God. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that everything that was preached, everything that was said tonight, Lord, would resonate with each and every one of us and that the Holy Spirit of God would use every jot and tittle to speak to everyone watching via live stream as well as here personally tonight. In these last days in which we live, Lord, would you help us to be soul winners? Would you help us, dear Lord, to evangelize our communities? I'm so grateful, Lord, that I see those in my family that are serving in their churches evangelizing people on the streets of Fall River. 
in other areas, Lord, as we people here in East Providence, Rhode Island. Lord, time is of the essence. I believe we're running on borrowed time. And I believe Jesus is coming sooner rather than later. So, Father, may you now be glorified during this invitation and pray that your will be done. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.